Well, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 26. Matthew in chapter 26, the text of our message is Matthew 26, 17 through 30. And the title is The Last Lamb. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thus says the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is not a bread that has come down from heaven like Moses in the wilderness. This is the bread of life. And we need it more than we realize. We ask that you would stir in us this morning a hunger for the words of Christ. For he alone has the words of eternal life. Father, we... We need this bread. Bring it to us. Help us by faith to take it in. May it change us. May it nurture and nourish in us a heart like yours. Father, bless the bread this morning. As we sit around the table and eat, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three truths this morning that I want us to look at. The first one is sovereign preparation for our salvation. No doubt you have been in this text or similar text in Mark, Luke, and John regarding the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper of, of our Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, you have um, heard many teachings of this, and even um, monthly as we as a church um, celebrate the Passover, really the, uh, the Lord's Table. 
um, you have heard this described. This morning, I, I pray that we could just look at this with some three simple truths. There's many more to look at. But I want you to notice, first of all, the sovereign preparation for salvation. All of this preparation that's been taking place, and by the way, for hundreds of years for the people of Israel, was, uh, was really leading up to this event. Now, the Passover, as you remember, was the tenth plague in the exodus of God's people from the mighty hand of Egypt. That final uh, plague was the death knell. It was the death of the firstborn. And the family would apply the blood of a lamb, a, blem- a lamb without blemish, to the, the doorposts of their home and enter into that home so as to say they were under the blood of that lamb. The death angel of God would pass over through Egypt and every every home that he would pass over, if it was not atoned for, if it was not covered by the blood of this lamb, death would enter into that home. You see, it would either be the death of the lamb or the death of a firstborn. And so the faithful Israel would enter into their homes that night and rejoice that the death angel had passed over. So it was called the Passover meal. And God instituted in Exodus chapter 12 that they would observe this really with an unending celebration of this, of this deliverance. This was what broke the Pharaoh's heart to, um, to release Israel from their enslavement and captivity. And, but really, even as significant as that is, Jesus as our Passover lamb was a greater offering even than the thousands of lambs that were slain on the night of the Passover. He is the great lamb and he, by the way, is the last lamb. And everything that had been leading up to this in symbolism now has been carefully laid out as, as a sovereign preparation for our salvation. Now it wouldn't be a lamb, it would be the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God was being prepared on the Passover night. On this night in Matthew 26, while there was lambs being slain at the temple and be prepared for every family that had come from all of the all around Israel and how flooded Jerusalem, maybe even a million people had flooded Jerusalem's gates that night. Every family sitting down at the table was partaking of a lamb, including the disciples. But Jesus is the lamb that is being prepared. Jesus is the lamb that is being prepared. And he is being prepared on our behalf. The Passover meal was met with great amounts of effort and preparation. There was this was in conjunction also with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Notice, by the way, in verse number 17, it says, The first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, What will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? Notice in the same sentence, we find almost like two different like feasts or something going on there. Really what had taken place was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was, was I think it was eight days long, maybe seven, but I think it was eight days long and usually started right at the beginning of the Passover. And so it was really in combination together. It, to, to feast on the unleavened bread would be a longer feast than one day, but it was in, in collaboration with, especially the, marked with the first day um, with the Passover. This was also instituted in Exodus chapter 12, where as the people were to slay the lamb and apply the blood to the, to the, the doorpost of their home, they also were to search out their home and to find any leaven, anything that would, that would uh, allow the, the bread to rise. So as th- the next morning, they weren't going to be able to wait for their bread to rise. They were going to have to just run. And so the unleavened bread would forever be a signal that God was so quick and sure and swift 
in his deliverance that the bread didn't even rise. There's also a mark of sin and is to inspect and under the blood to know that you are cleansed and clean. Unleavened. And leaven was, was compared to uh, the idea the, of sin. And so as the people were to partake of the Passover, they were to partake also in examining themselves under their worthiness. As, that is, are they living in faith? Are they living in, in holiness? Are they a sanctified people? And to find every part. And you say, how hard is it to find leaven in the home? Well, let me just remind you that with children, grandchildren, how hard is it to find Cheerios in the couch? And under the couch and, and everywhere. So too is the imagery, okay, of leaven. It could have blown elsewhere. It could have fallen uh, the cracks, the crumbs and things like that. It was, a, it was a moment of really cleansing the home. And it might have been hard to find. And it was the idea, the effort to search it out so as to be circumspect, to be intentional about renewing and, and applying that, that, that purity of the cleansing blood, the cleansing atonement. Which, by the way, is carried over into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul gives instruction to the church of which we observe. And that is to examine yourselves to see that you are worthy. That is, like the faithful Israelite would search his home looking for leaven as a symbol of sin, so too they would search their hearts. Lord, is there anything between me and you that would make this gospel, this symbol of taking in the gospel, hypocritical? Is there known sin? Is there sin that you can reveal to me, Lord, just so that I can know that my fellowship with you is sweet and, and without guile and that I can look you in the eye and say, oh, how I love your forgiveness. And that I'm not trampling on it with known sin. And so just as the Passover meal was met with great amounts of effort for preparation, likewise, our redemption through the sacrifice of Jesus was met with great amounts of effort for our redemption. Now, now actually, none, I don't believe any of the Gospel writers record this, but notice the disciples will go into the city, verse number 19, and do as Jesus had directed them and prepare the Passover. Now, what does that mean? Well, certainly it means that they will find this man who will give them the place to observe it, but it means they will have to find a lamb. And so that afternoon, the disciples will go and they will buy a lamb from a merchant and they will take that lamb to the temple and that, that lamb will be slain in the temple. Then they will take that lamb back to this home and prepare it for the feast of the Passover. Meanwhile, Jesus is preparing for the Passover to be the lamb. And so... Notice in verse number 18, there is a cognizance, there is an awareness, and isn't just an awareness, it is a driving force of God's sovereign power. Jesus says, uh, my time is at hand. Tell the man with the jar of water, my time, the teacher says, my time is at hand. Jesus knows he's going to be the lamb. My time is at hand. This is no accident. Jesus is no victim. What does he mean by time? Well, that word time, it is just a general word, but what we find out that time is will be his betrayal, will be his suffering, and will be his death. This is what's at hand. And then notice his intentionality directly following this. I will keep the Passover. Jesus wanted to observe this last Passover with the disciples before he was crucified. 
Jesus was orchestrating all of these events. Even though Satan was having his day with Judas, God was in control of how he was going to live to deliver his sacrifice. God began, by the way, delivering his sacrificial lamb by bringing his sacrificial lamb to the city of David, the great shepherd, Bethlehem, when he was a babe. God began delivering his lamb then. And God would prepare this lamb for 33 years, showing this lamb was spotless and without blemish underneath the testing and scrutiny of the most cynical and uh, skeptical religious leaders up close against common, ordinary men and women. Underneath the scrutiny of the devil and his demons, for 33 years, God would show Jesus is the perfect lamb who will be slain on the Passover. He will be the final lamb. He will be the last lamb. Examine him. But it will not be you who offers him. It will be God. It will be the father of the home who offers the lamb. If you will enter in. And so Jesus says, I will eat this last Passover with you. I will keep the Passover with you. One last lesson. This will be the last vignette, really, of his, of his life before the resurrection, of course. This last time for Jesus to really drill into the hearts of these faithful men, and one unfaithful man, who he is. This is my body. This is my blood. I will keep the Passover. This Passover. Not that any other weren't. But this Passover was divinely appointed. It was very, very special. It would not fail to come. Just as the cross the next day would not fail to come. This Passover would set into motion the crucifixion. Notice how significant this Passover is. They're all dipping their hands into the basin to taste of the bitter herbs and the salt water and lifting their hands out of the basin, all questioning, is it I who is going to betray? But one in particular, Judas, has done this. He has acted like the rest of them. It sets into motion the crucifixion. Peter and John likely are the disciples that go and get the lamb at the temple and return. But I want you to notice, just from a literary point of view, we've been noticing a little bit of some literary stuff going on in Matthew. It's helpful as a Bible student to see this. Notice there are several different characters mentioned in this vignette. Number one, there's a certain man. A certain man. Jesus says, go into the city in verse number 18 to a certain man. Not any man, but to a certain man. Mark 14 records the similar. It says, a man carrying a water jar, follow him home. Now, it could be that Jesus had made prior arrangements with this man and said, I will will need your place. We'll need your place. Can it seat 12 people or so? And and, um, I will need your place. Or it could could be that God just demonstrated his movement in the heart. We, We don't know any detail about this certain man, but it will be a certain man. It will not be any man. But this is a character of the story. Another character that we find, and, and by the way, so often the writers of the Gospels, they, they just almost always, I think it's always, put the word betray next to the word Judas. He's another man. 
We have 11 disciples, of which, by the way, we don't know any of their names. Now, we know, we know them, but not in this passage. Who's the only disciples whose name appears in this passage? It's Judas. So we have 11 disciples who all say, is it I, Lord? But notice Judas' distinct question in verse number 25. He does not say, is it, is it I, Lord? What does he say? Is it I, teacher? How true that was of him. For Jesus was not his Lord. He was merely his teacher. Men in no disrespect, by the way, likely. But truthfully told, he did not say, is it I, Lord? And then notice the fourth character, or maybe the uh, 14th character, the Lord. He's in this passage too. Don't forget, number two, the significance of the Passover. Notice the significance of the Passover. As Jesus comes into the middle of the meal, and uh, verse number 26, we find out that it's the middle of the meal. Now, as they were eating, so they were in the middle of the meal, and we've gone through as a church through a Passover Seder that reflected Christ, and we've, we've gone through a lot of instruction. So in the middle of the meal, as they're enjoying the feast of the Lamb, as they're enjoying the Lamb and, and some of the other elements, Jesus takes the bread, it says, and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave the bread to the disciples. He served them. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. Now, our Bibles here are written in Greek. They're recorded in Greek. But Jesus did not speak this Greek when he was speaking. He spoke in Aramaic. In Aramaic, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, which is the common spoken language, Jesus would have said in our translation in English, this my body. Not this is my body. Now, obviously, it, it is helpful to us to put that word is in there, but this, my body. Now, it was clear to the disciples that, that, that it wasn't his body. Because, because he was there. It would only take an unfaithful rendering to say that Jesus was saying, this is my body. Because no disciple sitting there would have thought any sort of suspicion. You see, everything on the table had meaning. This was this, this is this, this is this. And Jesus now takes the bread, this unleavened bread, which was meant to be a telling of them of the swiftness and surety of God's deliverance, of the purity of the hope they can have in, in Him for the Messiah, of His forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says... We've been eating all these things, and let me tell you something, this is me. It had never been him in their mind before. And there was no instant confusion among them trying to figure out, wait, who do I look at, the bread or him? Which one is Jesus now? But sadly, many of them, many in Christendom have come to a real lack of belief and faith in the biblical understanding that Jesus was showing that this was a picture of who he was. That there was no confusion and no mystery. 
no one ever needed to command the participants to eat. Really, uh, when you sat down at these meals, this Passover, uh, surely there was an invitation implied, uh, maybe even sometimes expressed at the beginning of the meal, that you would eat. Please, folks, enjoy yourselves around the table, pass the butter and things like that. But this, notice, Jesus tells them, eat. I would like to make just one or two points about this that I think are helpful for us to hear. The gospel of Christ is not an invitation as much as it is a command. It is in graciousness and love by which you and I, as we share the gospel with others, we invite them to believe upon Jesus Christ. But I hope that you recognize, and biblically we understand, there is a greater weight to the gospel of Christ than merely an invitation that can be kindly rejected. To believe upon Jesus Christ is a command for the whole world and the first sin of every unbeliever is unbelief in Jesus Christ. It is a rejection of who he is for them. That's the first sin. That's the damning sin. It could be the only sin that sends them to hell. It is the root of all sin is the unbelief that Jesus is the Messiah and can be their Messiah. So, Jesus doesn't say, men, help yourselves. Men, there's bread on the table. He says, gentlemen, take and eat. So, Jesus says to the world, and so we proclaim with all boldness and confidence to the world, take and eat. Look upon Jesus Christ for your salvation, lest you be doomed. This is not a kind invitation, although it is full of the most gracious rewards and kindness of all the universe. But it is firstly a command. And if you don't eat, you die. And this would have been alarming to the disciples. Because in the meal... You weren't commanded to do things. There was things you said and you did together. You lifted the cup and you ate this together and this. But no one ever gave a command actually. And here Jesus is, is interrupting the script. And he's stopping the moment to say, do you, do you understand what's taking place here? This bread that you thought all along was the bread of provision, the bread of redemption, the bread of cleansing... This actually, now I've come, I'm the bread. The cup. Now there were four cups as they drank along through the meal. The meal sort of begun, begins with a cup of sanctification. Sanctification, that is the cup recognizing that God had set apart his people from all the rest of the world. And had taken care of them, allowed them, if you will, to incubate in Egypt as they grew to be a large nation. 
God set them apart as a people. It would be the cup of sanctification, the cup of thank you, Lord, for setting us apart for your glory and for your use. The second cup was the cup of judgment. It was the idea of judgment and blessing. By the way, uh, throughout Scripture you'll find these just juxtaposed, back to back, judgment and blessing. Oftentimes with different people, but sometimes with God's people. But the judgment upon Egypt brought about the blessing of God's people. And so this cup of judgment reminded the Israel that someone was judged, that someone was put under the curse, that someone was punished for their unbelief. But we were the blessed ones. God delivered us by His favor and mercy. We are, we are well because we passed through the judgment. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And Jesus, or I mean God, told Moses that if the people would apply the blood to their door mantle, that he would redeem them with an outstretched arm. And he would redeem them by the means of judgment, by the way. By the means of judgment, God would redeem his people. And this cup, the cup of redemption, is likely the cup that Jesus stood up from the table and said, this is my blood. This is the, the cup of the new covenant. This cup meant the deliverance of God's people, the, the celebratory uh, expulsion and deliverance of God's people, the emancipation of the slaves from Israel. This was full of joy. It was full of celebration. It was the Independence Day cup. What could there be greater to remember than God's delivering of God's people miraculously from the most powerful kingdom in the world? A people without weapons? A people without governance? A people who didn't raise a single sword or knife for their own deliverance? God joy joyfully and graciously redeemed them from Israel. And Jesus lifts this cup. And said, in this cup is my blood. It was poured out for you. But in their picture, it was the blood on the doorpost that this cup represented. The sign of deliverance. And now Jesus says, you think Egypt was bad. I've delivered you from greater than Egypt. I've delivered you from the wrath of God. This is the cup of redemption. And fourthly, there's a fourth cup called the cup of praise. I will take you for my people and I will be your God, the cup of praise. And you notice, you do notice if you're reading along here, Matthew seems to indicate that, that this cup, after they, they drink this cup, Jesus says, I will not eat again of this fruit of the vine. So is there a fourth cup that Jesus drinks? It could be that Jesus left the four cups on the table, the fourth cup on the table, the cup of, of praise and thanksgiving. It could be that he stopped short. We're going to look at that at the end of the message. It could be that he stopped short of drinking this cup. Or it could be that this is the cup he also drank in lifting it up. Or it could be um, the third option I'm drawing a blank. It could be that uh, Matthew does not record the chronology of things and just fast forwards and says 
they left the meal after the fourth cup. But the cup of redemption, the cup of praise. And by the way, this is not just cups that are part of the story of the, of the Passover, but they're part of the story of Christ. All four cups find their fulfillment in Christ. This is the cup of promise. This fourth cup. This idea that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. Could it be that Jesus is holding the fourth cup today? This fourth cup of praise and thanksgiving. Now Matthew records that verse number 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Can I just fuel a little bit of your biblical imagination? Have you ever, just as an illustration, have you ever been in a hall? I know a couple of you have, men. Where maybe there's men in uniform, soldiers, who fill the hall with singing. Can I just say that one of the night, one of the most wonderful sounds on the planet, I think, is a is a room full of men singing. And uh, here in this upper room, these men sing. And who sings with them? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that someday, oh, you and I will sing for Jesus, but I believe that we'll sing with Jesus too. Oh, how sweet his voice will be. These men sang with Jesus. What's Jesus singing about? Jesus is singing about himself. But they're singing really out of Psalm 113. And, um, and I'd like for us to look at this. And we don't have the music notes in our Bibles, but turn to Psalm 113. And I want you to see what they were singing. And this is called the Hallel. And I, I want to remind you that as you, um, as you begin to grow in your understanding of the Scriptures and how how all of the scripture beats with the heart of Jesus Christ that that you might feel sometimes like you're not a Jew so you can't identify but can I tell you that you're you're more a Jew than you realize in the sense that the Jewish story of redemption is our story of redemption okay this is the story of our salvation had God not worked through his people you and I would not have a messiah and so these are songs of our deliverance and they can have meaning for the Jewish nation from the perspective of their own history of bondage and of slavery. And we could say, that's not really my, my nation, that's not really my people, but it is your people more than you know. Because of the blood of Christ, they are the people of God. And while it was not your ancestors directly, perhaps, that came throughout of Egypt, it was your ancestors that came out of Egypt. So when you sing and when you read the stories of deliverance through the Exodus and through the Red Sea, let it be for you greater, greater joy than singing, our, our, for example, our national anthem. 
greater pride and, and, and a swelling of appreciation of thanksgiving of what God has done than, than even a national anthem. This is the, the saints' anthem. Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. By the way, these are, this is the psalms that these men were singing in the upper room. Hear them as I, as I speak it. Hear them. Hear them fill this room. But hear Jesus receiving this praise in the room. Hear Him not only as the singer, but hear Him also or see Him also as the audience of them as they sing this in His presence. Verse 2, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is a high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth? And He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord! When Israel went down from Egypt to the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is there a God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. 
When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your test, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to You the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In Your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard, so I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. And this would have resounded through that hall that evening. Oh, what praises were right there at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus Himself likely even exalting the Father in His heart as He's saying this very same thing. The third truth 
that I want us to see in Matthew 26, going back to Matthew 26, is that Jesus gives a solemn oath of success. Jesus says, I will not eat of the fruit of the vine until I see you in the kingdom to come. Do you see in this that Jesus reserves the fullness of his joy to be known and experienced with his people in the time to come when he has successfully gathered his children to the table? Now it's becoming more real. Now the clock is getting closer to the time that's to come. The very first implication of this is that Jesus is not going to be celebrating another Passover with the disciples anytime soon. And there's a major hint of finality and suspension here. And beyond that, it is swollen with anticipation. Not only is there suspense, but there's anticipation. I want you to feel this. It's like something that you experience often. It's like saying to someone who's going to be traveling with you, that you will wait until they come to eat with them. We all know what that's like as we prepare our homes for for travelers and for loved ones. And how hungry are you when they arrive? How much joy fills the table when you are finally all together around that table? More gladness, right? More jubilance, more festivity, more joy than if, if you had went ahead and eaten without them. And likely... Through texting, you get the message, we're going to be late, eat without us. And why don't you? Because you know the fullness of joy awaits. Do you know the fullness of joy that Jesus is reserving? He's standing at the table with cup in hand until the time when you and I join with him. Could he drink now? Could he drink of the fruit of the vine? God can do anything he wants to do. But he will not. Because this fourth cup is the cup of praise, of thanksgiving. It is the final cup of the meal. It is the finality. It is the rehearsal of all the good things. Because after this comes the halal. God, you have been faithful. I have looked to you for salvation. And you raised me up. And so Jesus says, He will wait to drink of this cup. Revelation 5 that we read this morning, John says that the 24 elders sang to Christ the Lamb, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed men for God God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus is waiting until the table is full of all kinds of people. He's waiting. And his joy is becoming filled up. We eat and we drink today, in a few moments, the Lord's table. He has told us to do so. This do in remembrance of me. So we will do so until we see Jesus. As long as this church is faithful to preach the gospel, then we will participate in the Lord's table. And we continue to do so. It's an unending thing. How many times have you done so? Countless times. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus is waiting to drink the cup. 
So we eat and we drink, but He waits. He waits. For us, this observance of communion, it serves us, it ministers to us in many ways. But one of which, one of the ways in which this communion ministers to us, and and you've got to catch this, because it ministers to us in a way that helps us to take courage and confidence in remembering the mission that we're on. We keep taking communion because we're still on mission. We're not there yet. We keep preaching the gospel. We keep praying the gospel. We keep telling the gospel. We keep humbling ourselves under the sound of the gospel. And we keep symbolizing the gospel until it's all completed. Until we're there. And this constant, it's almost like, in a sense, like no chair in the temple for the priest to sit on. So too, we continue to rehearse this symbol of the Passover, the symbol of Christ, until we see Him. And it's a continual reminder of our mission. It's not done yet. Continue to fill the chairs around the table. But for Jesus, for Jesus, He says in Matthew 26, He waits to eat it anew. He waits to drink it anew. That is, when it's all done, then He will drink. But He still is filling the table. Let's pray this morning.